What's up guys? I just wanted to let you guys know we're hosting a webinar in uh, mid-August. There'll be a link in the description below with uh, different times. There's gonna be two live webinars. It's going to be on the ways that we find Chinese manufacturers. So the way our company, Source Fine Asia, researches and vets Chinese manufacturers. And then there'll be a little bit of a bonus in terms of how we sort of elevate our relationships with them. Speaking of elevate, the name of the method that we use is called the SAFE method. So if you guys have checked out our ebook, you should be a little bit familiar with this. So S stands for search, A stands for assess, F stands for finalize, and E stands for elevate. So I hope to see you guys on that live webinar. Sign up today. There's only gonna be a limited amount of seats. I believe we're only taking about 50 people on the first webinar. If there's a huge demand, then we might increase that, but sign up today so you don't miss your spot. Register today for this free live webinar at sourcefinasia.com slash webinar. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, the CEO of SourceFind Asia, co-host of the Main Channel podcast and the host of the SourceFind Asia YouTube channel, coming to you live from Nantong. Um, in this episode, I sat down with Lorenzo Payman, and uh, Lorenzo Payman is a very interesting character. He's a good friend of mine. He's an EnterChina member. He is he's largely responsible for me being in China. I'm not going to tell you guys why. You'd have to listen to this part one out of two parts of the interview that we did with him. In part one, we covered the reason why the reason why he influenced me to come to China, how he influenced me to come to China. Uh, we talked about his first experience meeting Tim and Nick at the time of the Elevator Life, I think back in 2013. Um, him, you know, be working in the oil fields in Canada him coming to China, coaching middle school soccer team in Hangzhou, and then his first entrepreneurship ventures in China, uh, being part of an accelerator program and almost getting investment and things like that. And then we got uh, part one ends when he just started doing what he's currently doing in Hong Kong. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. All right, so good morning. Uh, what's going on, Rico? This is Lorenzo. Yeah, man, just uh, just came from the gym, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. This morning I've been early in the office, woke up at 5 on a Saturday morning, and then just uh, heading. I arrived in my office at 8 o'clock in the morning. I've been working. I have a lot of things to do for our, our own e-commerce business, just doing research on that. And yeah, so I'm uh, excited to be here. Cool, man. Um, so yeah, like I said, let's start at the beginning. What, uh, where are you originally from, and what brought you to China? Well, I'm I'm Canadian. I grew up in France, and um, I've been an entrepreneur all my life. I first came to Hong Kong and China back in 2012, when I was probably among the first people to be part of the Enter China. Uh, I did a consulting with Nick and Tim back in August of 2000. 12 at the time I had just got uh, laid off from my from my last uh, corporate gig in uh, in Toronto Canada and uh, I was a Where were you working? Guy. I was working at Mazda Canada and uh, okay. and marketing in uh, Richmond Hill for those of those of you guys that know where that is 
So yeah, Richmond uh, Hill, it's the suburbs. Yeah, north of Toronto. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So I was watching those videos with uh, a lot of uh, interest, and uh, at the same time, uh, my one of my last uh, corporate gigs back home in Toronto, um, I got laid off in uh, at the end of August of 2012 because our our entire department got outsourced to India, and they offered us a mm-hmm. package to to continue with the company, but at a third of the rate that we were getting paid before. So obviously, none of us uh, took the offer. We all went our own ways, and. Uh, I decided to go uh, the unusual route, which was to go to China and uh, in Hong Kong. So I went there. I did. I was probably one of the first people to uh, do a consulting with Nick and uh, Tim back in August of 2012. I went. Uh, so when you say when you say consulting, like as in you, they gave you like an idea of what you should do. If you yeah, to China? yeah. We had been uh, exchanging emails uh, the entire summer of 2012, and finally, when I arrived in Hong Kong, we scheduled uh, one of those. Uh, consultation calls with both Nick and Tim. I was in my hotel in Hong Kong. I was excited because that was just the day before I uh, I was about to go my first time in China. So uh, I did yeah. that. They gave me a ton of um, ton of uh, tips and stuff. And then on the same day that I arrived in Guangzhou, we met for drinks late at night and, uh, and I spent a few days with them. They showed me around, introduced me to their crew. I met quite a few of the people that are now uh, very successful in the EC. And then... Uh, after that, so I have a question. At that time, was was Interchina like an actual like they had started the the master they had started the group and they were, it was like a paying yeah it was thing at the just time, or were they just formulating the idea yeah it was just the I, I believe it was just in the, in the infancy uh, I don't remember if uh, Interchina was launched or about to be launched but I do remember that I was among the very first people to do consultation with them and uh, when Interchina was launched I was probably one of the first people to also sign up. So, uh, mm-hmm. and, and obviously I was probably one of the first people to meet them in person, both Nick and Tim mm-hmm. and Guangzhou. So I spent about a week with them and trying to see my options. I even got offered a job to one of my connections here uh, as an English teacher, but I decided not to, to go the English teaching job because I didn't want to come to China to, do, to be an English teacher. So I went back home yeah. to, to, to Canada and I went straight, not to corporate Canada, but I went to... Uh, the oil fields in, uh, in Western Canada and Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, I did that. I was basically X-raying pipelines like a, like a welder inspector, just inspecting the work of... Uh, of, of so just to, just to add some, some, yeah. uh, some flavor to the story. Sure. So like, you're, I, like we met, um, obviously we met up like three, four years ago and mm-hmm. then we've been seeing each other peripherally. But I think the first time we had like a proper conversation was at the cross border summit like 2 years ago? Yeah, in and April 2017, yeah, in, in Shenzhen, yes, in, I remember. We're sitting at the same yeah. table for lunch, yes. Yeah, so then we started talking, right? And then we started talking about one of these forums. I'm not going to say the name, but there's a forum, oh, a travel that, forum, yeah, travel forum. Travel lifestyle. It was like yeah, travel for guys. travel lifestyle business yeah. forum. Yeah, for yeah, for for guys. And I you know, I I I came across that forum in probably like 2012. Okay. Uh, 2012, 2013-ish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I came and then there was a whole thread about, you know, China and whatever. So, like, yeah, I was the one that Southeast Asia. I was the one that started that, that thread and I started quite a few. Yeah, so that's what, that's what I was, that's what I was going to say. So, yeah. okay. so it was just funny because I saw, I read that thread and then, then that's how I found the elevator life at the time. So mm-hmm. I clicked on the link. I started watching all these videos and I remember that, you know, 
you, I, I, we had different screen names on the, the forum. Yes, so yes. like now I'm talking to you and I'm explaining mm-hmm. my situation. And then you're like, I, I started the thread. I was like, man, Lorenzo, you're like, you're like the reason I'm in China, man. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if I would have come across the elevator yeah, if, if you didn't, if well, you didn't make power, that thread. That's a beautiful power of uh, online communities because that's how you get uh, an idea. And that idea can become like a life-changing decision for you and take your life to a completely different direction. It was for me as well because I came across the first time I heard about the Elevator Live was on the Tropical MBA podcast, and I was a big, uh, big consumer uh, and avid fan of uh, the Tropical MBA at the time. And when I first heard an interview of uh, Tim and Nick at the time by Dan Dan Andrews, I was always hooked, and I and I uh, searched right away there, the, found the website um, Elevator Life, and. Uh, and I think I, for the, was the moment I ended up on their website, I was, I was binge watching their videos like nonstop and three, four times the same day. And it was completely, it was something that I'd never imagined. I always uh, heard about people going to China, but these people were actually making it more concrete in a way that, hey, I can, do, if these guys did it, I can do it too. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's what really pushed me when I was about to, to get laid, laid off. I said, well, I'm not going to go look for another job in Canada. I'm gonna go uh, nice. check it out to see what's what's up, but at the same time, and on, on the same forum, sorry to cut you off. On the same forum, there was a huge thread of uh, opportunity in Western Canada, working in the oil fields and making six that's, figures that's and six months. That's what I was months. gonna say yeah. as well. Yeah, so yeah I was, that's what I was gonna say. I was I was hesitating between t- uh, trying my luck in China or going there, so I decided instead to go to Canada to raise some raise some capital. I went there and uh, and I stayed there for about a year and a half. And after that, when oil collapsed in the summer of 2014, I still managed to hang on to my job until January of 2015, when it was my, my turn to, to get hacked, I guess. Those, uh, the oil fields, I mean, also mm. they talked about it in the forums, it's, it's not easy work, right? Like, it's, no, it's, it's quite difficult. Very, well, it's depending on what you do. If you're working on a rig, yes, you're working like a dog, basically, at minus 35, minus 40, doing the, the, the mm. worst uh, uh, the worst type of job, uh, physical labor job. It's extremely um, tiring, very harsh conditions. Sometimes you, you live in the middle of nowhere in the boonies, like complete yeah. isolation. A lot of time you work in rotation, like two weeks on, two weeks off, or one week off. So you live, imagine living in a camp. Uh, you just see the same crew, the same people. The, the bunch of bunch of smelly men. Uh, rednecks, <laughs> yeah, very rednecks. And, but it was fun. Honestly, it was fun. Seriously, for me, I, I, I loved it. Me, I was not working... Uh, one of those uh, labor-intensive works, I actually was working as a, uh, well, to, to make it very simple, it was a welder's inspector. Uh, I was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you go to, to the doctor to x-ray your hand to see you have no uh, broken bones, we were basically uh, mm-hmm. x-raying the work of, uh, of welders, x-raying especially pipelines, and uh, to make sure there was no cracks or leaks using radioactive materials and, and, a, and, a, and a camera. Um, uh, yeah, so we're doing this. There was uh, the the crew. It was just me and and my technician, level two guy. We're on a truck, traveling each day, uh, two three hours from uh, from the shop in Edmonton all the way to wherever the job for the day was. And uh, it was fun, man, because you get to know uh, some completely new lifestyle. Mm-hmm. A few times we're sent on uh, on rigs uh, all the way up and close to the Arctic Circle. It was very interesting, but for me, I was there for the summer, uh, most of the summer, but also did some winter winter gigs at uh, minus 35. I remember a couple of times, a couple of nights, it was a blizzard, minus 40. 
You cannot even see uh, two meters in front of you. All you would see was just a sheet of white falling in front of you. It was brutal because usually it's, even though you dress like you know, all the warm equipment, I mean, a gear that you, that you must, otherwise you will freeze to death. But still, for example, by law, we were supposed to have a break every, every two hours. But even when you had the break, you would not even go in the truck because when you go in the truck and when you come back, you would be freezing even more. So you just stay, in, stay outside and just uh, try to, uh, almost like you're jumping, dancing, just to keep your body, body's temperature up. But it was fun mm. because we had some amazing times, uh, a lot of fun there, tried a new lifestyle. Yeah, the money was good. Of course, that was the main reason people were there, but still, it was a completely new lifestyle. And if uh, I believe that if uh, oil hadn't collapsed in 2014, I would have stayed a lot more time because it was good, man. It was good. The money was good, and you, would, you were uh, going up the ladder pretty nicely, pretty fast. So what happens after, or in 2014, that's when you decide to make the move to China? Uh, no, I, I got laid off in January of 2015 and I went back home in Toronto. I stayed, a few, uh, I was wondering what to do next. I got a job in corporate Canada at another big uh, manufacturer, out basically high end Canada, uh, and their finance department. It was right by the CN Tower, where it's uh, sweet and Thai. And at the time we had just moved from... from uh, you were right, right by... Right by the uh, Roger Center? Yes. The, the, right by the CN Tower. I used to live at um, City Place, which is like across the road okay. in Spadina. Yeah, at the time we had just moved from North York to Ajax, so it was quite a trek. Like uh, I was starting at 8.30 in the morning, so I had to leave, basically wake up at 5 o'clock, leave the house at 6.30. It was uh, an hour and a half to two hours each way, and basically $30 because I had to take the bus from my house, our house, to uh, the Ajax train station, and then from Ajax train station, take the train, the GO train to, uh, to uh, basically to Union Station in downtown Toronto, and then from there just walk. And sometime, uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I honestly, uh, being back in corporate Canada after having had a taste of the, of the lifestyle in, in, in the oil field, because when you're in oil field, you basically have a freedom. You, you just, you and your... Your, your technician, no one else to, to, uh, to report to. You have a lot of freedom to and, do things and, you want. And on top of that, you, you're coming off of how long were you in China for, like when you, when you met Tim and Nick? Well, that was back in 2012 when I went. In I, I stayed in China only for, for two and a half weeks. So when yeah, I, so I'm saying you have the you have the China experience. Oh, yeah. And then you well, go all and you do time, the oil rig thing. Yeah, all it's this like all the stuff that's... Yeah, all this time, oh, go ahead. my main motivation was to raise as much capital as possible and all the time consuming all the uh, everything I could uh, on, on those entrepreneurial podcasts, uh, blogs. Um, and my, my, my only aim was just to come to China, return to China as soon as possible. That was my almost an obsession at the time, an obsession for mm-hmm. me. And, and so when I got laid off from, from oil fields, I went back. Got a job in wearing suit and tie in corporate Canada. I lasted three weeks because it was absolutely <laughs> too much for me. Uh, it would it would take me two hours commuting each way, so four hours just spent wasted on commuting, and I was getting paid uh, maybe a third or a fourth of what I was making in oil fields. So there was no way. F- and plus, you know what is a corporate lifestyle? With all respect, do it's you're basically walking on eggshells. You cannot. You have to be mm-hmm. very careful what you say not to offend anyone. And when you worked in the oil field, basically just freedom, almost like being back in, in college with, uh, with, with your buddies and you go from one extreme to the extreme. 
I, I couldn't take it. I lasted three weeks. I quit. And then I spent a few months wondering what to do. I was talking to a friend of mine from Toronto. He, was, he, was, uh, he had been uh, teaching in English in China, in Chengdu for a few years. So mm-hmm. at first, I wasn't really keen on going to China because I, I'm more of an entrepreneur, always been an entrepreneur. So, and finally, I said, okay, whatever. Uh, my options are either get another uh, corporate job, which I do not want to. Uh, oil field is completely down because economy, the, the oil is, uh, has collapsed. And let me, let me try and, and see what's, what's China. Go, go and explore this. So my buddy, he put me in touch with one of those agents in China. So while during one of our calls on Skype, we were just, uh, I guess, socializing. He asked me, hey, Lorenzo, do you like football? I said, I don't like football. Football is my religion. I live, breathe, mm-hmm. and think football 24-7. He said, okay, beautiful. Can you coach football? I said, yeah, I did that when I was in France, even in, in university, uh, high school and university in and, and Toronto. I did that as an assistant coach and stuff like that. And he said, would you like to coach in China? And that question was a simple question that completely changed the course of my life from that moment on. He said, okay. Uh, when he asked me, can you coach football? And can you coach football? Would you like to coach football in China? I said, yes, I'd love to. He said, okay, give me 24, uh, 24 to 48 hours and I'll get, I'll get back to you with an offer. I thought he was joking. And then long story short, uh, 12 hours later, I had an email with an offer for, for a position as a football coach in Hangzhou in China. And I honestly, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. Not because the money was good. The money was not good at all. It was very basic. But China was pretty decent. But the experience to go to China, experience China, living there, while being getting paid to do what I want, I love to do because my goal, my dream when I was a boy was to become a professional football player growing up in France. So I wasn't good enough or whatever. I didn't make it. And finally now getting paid to, to do what you always love to do is your passion. It was a no-brainer for me. So I took a one-way ticket so and went to Hangzhou. The agent was like one of these agents that yeah, connects you to like schools and stuff? Yeah, yeah one of those recruiters. Okay. Yeah. And then just guy. to give some context for people that don't know, Hangzhou is... Uh, the birthplace of Jack Ma and it's where exactly exactly are. that's where a uh, couple hours couple hours from from Shanghai. Correct. Yes, it's uh, historically it's a city of Marco Polo, which uh, he coined back back in the time as the most beautiful scene in the world. Yes, it's a very beautiful city. It's considered to be a very romantic city for Chinese. A lot of Chinese couples when they get married, they go to Hangzhou from the West West Lake to get their wedding pictures uh, taken. So it's a beautiful city. It's nice. It's a pretty small city by Chinese standard, it's a, but still, that's about 15 million people, you know? <laughs> that's funny, you know? Yeah, when you said small city, I was just like, man, like people, when they hear small city, they're thinking about like 100,000 people, 50,000. Oh, that's not even a street like, in China. No. <laughs> 80, 80, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, condo uh, compound has at least 200K people inside of them, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's... That's a few apartment complex. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, so I did that for about uh, two years. And then uh, after that, my company transferred me in the second year uh, while I was in just for Chinese New Year on vacation in Thailand, in Chiang Mai. I got a call directly from the big boss from the company. He said, hey, Lorenzo, can you do me a favor? I said, what? He said, can you go for one semester to Shenzhen? Mm, I wasn't keen because I had, you know, friends and connection and stuff. But I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it just for one semester as, as a favor, because when a big boss calls you, you want to be nice to him, you know? So I said, okay, sure, I'll do it. Yeah. So I did it, and that's when things change again, because I've always been an entrepreneur, and I've always been consuming avidly all those uh, podcasts, the blogs, 
um, all those years. And finally, when I get to Shenzhen, I loved it because Shenzhen has a very thriving uh, entrepreneurial scene, unlike Hangzhou. So I was blown away by all these, uh, uh, you know, meetups, uh, workshops, uh, especially on e-commerce and Amazon FBA, which is basically what I was very interested in. So when I I, I attended as many as those uh, events as possible, and that's when um, I attended uh, the um, Cross Border Summit. Uh, organized by Michael McKellini. And I've been a, a listener to his podcast for at least since 2012, 2013, since the, his first days. Um, mm. So, and finally meeting him in person uh, when I found out that uh, there would be his annual conference in, uh, in April of that year, 2017. I signed up on the spot. I went there. And that's also where we met for the first time as well. Nice. So uh, just to backtrack a little bit. So you joined, you were one of the first members of EC. So you joined like in 2013-ish? When they first launched, yeah. I don't know when they launched it. I think it was... I think it was 2013 or 2014. Because I joined in 2014. Yeah. Yes, yes, uh, correct. In in September. And then uh, when I joined, there was already like... There's already like... They already been running EC for like two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. when, When I joined... Yeah, there's already like 150 members or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So then, what happened during that time period? Like, you're just, I guess you're just keeping in touch with the community, seeing what's oh, going always, on. Like, can always. you talk to me? Uh, can you talk to me about the early days? Like, which members? Like, Kenny was there. Obviously, Mike was there. Yeah, I was part uh, of the uh, you know the Enter China uh, WeChat group. So uh, yeah. On my first- yeah, what was that like? Like, what was the what were like? I mean, I guess that's the time. That's around the time when. You know, Tim and Nick had the wine business. Like, yes. I'm just trying to set the set the scene. I wasn't there. Like, I don't know anything about it. So, like, a lot of people ask me about early days of EC, and I can't really answer those questions. Okay. Well, at the time, the EC, as, as you said, uh, Nick and Tim were mainly focused on, on two things. One, which was their wine business, and second was launching uh, EC. But also, there was a mm-hmm. huge wave of people getting into in the first days of Kickstarter. And um, mm-hmm. at the time, I remember one, one night in Guangzhou in September of my last night, actually, in Guangzhou in September of 2012, uh, I met Nick and Tim for, for drinks uh, at night. And then he invited us to a, to a, to a private, to, to an event at one of the friends' uh, apartment. And that's where I also met uh, Ryan Beltran. At the time, he was mm-hmm. a, um, an English teacher in, in Guangzhou. He, ta- he talked to me briefly about his dream of uh, starting his own watch business. So I, I, I wished him best of luck. And I didn't know that he would go on to, uh, to become an amazing success story because he launched a, uh, kick, his Kickstarter in uh, February and March of 2013. We raised almost 400K for his wooden, wooden steel watches. Yeah, so, original grain. Yeah, exactly. So I met him. I met also, uh, what's his name? Uh, Stefan, uh, the German guy. He's also yeah. doing very well. I met a few other guys, but that was so long ago I don't remember their names. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then, and then of course, crowdfunding was the thing at the time, right? Back then, it was numbers. yeah, pretty much everybody was doing this at the time. So what I always found interesting, two things I always found interesting about you was one, I think, I think you're you've always been within the AC community. You've always been like a very vocal, like supportive kind of person. Yes. Um, I think everybody, at least the active members, everybody knows you. Is that 
Is that something that you do on purpose or is it like, is it just the way you are naturally? I'm naturally because I, I love encouraging people to go after their dreams, to follow their heart. And I'm an entrepreneur. And uh, the one thing I love to see, uh, any, anytime I can see someone that wants to pursue the entrepreneurial dream, I will always be the biggest cheerleader uh, because uh, there's nothing better than going after your dreams. And uh, mm-hmm. what, what the world needs is more entrepreneurs because we, the entrepreneurs, are the ones making the world go around. It's not the government's uh, responsibility to improve the economy. It's, it's the small business owners. It's the entrepreneurs who are basically creating the jobs, stimulating the economy. And the best way to, uh, to improve the economy, not only the economy on, on a grand scale, but also your own personal you know, uh, life and your families and those around you is by starting your own business. Because we, the entrepreneurs, are the ones changing, changing lives for us. For, for people around us and uh, hopefully eventually in our community. So that's what the world needs more entrepreneurs. And I'm all, I'm always going to be the biggest cheerleader for anyone that wants to pursue the entrepreneurial dreams and aspirations. So that's, that's been ingrained in me since I was, I guess I was born like that. So if someone wants to do something, go after their dreams, I will be the first cheerleader for them, especially when it comes to starting their business and, uh, and uh, going after their dreams. So then the second thing that I found interesting was just the fact that you were coaching soccer at like in China. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You were like the only, you're the only person that I know that did that. Yeah. Um, so, so what was that like? What was it, what was it like the whole experience going to Hangzhou teaching these kids? Well, like what age group were you teaching? Uh, the first year I was, I was teaching at a middle school. So middle school mm-hmm. is basically uh, 10, 11 to 15 years old. Um, it was quite interesting, also quite, quite a shock because you arrived there. I remember the first day I, I arrived at my school, I was greeted by the principal. Obviously I don't speak a word of Chinese and nobody there except maybe the English teacher, uh, the Chinese English teacher, whatever, doesn't speak any English. So I was there. I just look at the first uh, training that the other te- uh, football coach was doing. And uh, after talking to them, I, I will always remember the principal of the school said, well, I want my kids to, to play like Barcelona. I said, why Barcelona? Because I'm a big Barca fan. I want 11 Messi on the field. I said, okay, that, that's a beautiful goal. Let's see what they can do. It was amazing because with all respect due, most of these kids could, could barely just run, let alone, you know, kick a ball. So I had to spend a lot of time just teaching <laughs> them the basics, the ABC of football. And they were saying, yeah. oh, this is uh, teach the more advanced stuff. I said, well, if they cannot even do the ABC, it's just a straight, just a basic passing, controlling of the ball. There's no point even trying to do the, 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 the more advanced thing. It's just like if you want, you cannot write a book if you cannot even, if you, can, you cannot, if you don't know your ABCs, you cannot even write your name. So that was what I was yeah. trying to explain to them. But, you know, the Chinese have uh, grandiose ideas, but they just want to take the shortcut. And not to work for it, you know. It's all about shortcut for them. But sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And football is definitely one of those that it doesn't work in it. And you can, and, and you can see by how China has been uh, performing in in world football. So, however, despite this, I had my frustration with them and all that because of the lack of communicate, lack of uh, understanding. But it was an amazing experience on on the human aspect. I got to experience living in China and Hangzhou. I met some amazing people, especially the Chinese. They're extremely uh, hospitable, warm, friendly. I'm sure you've experienced the same thing, Rico. Um, yep. uh, whether it was your coworkers, your bosses, uh, your friends, 
They were extremely friendly, uh, hospitable, and it was an amazing experience from a human perspective. So I would always cherish that. What's up, guys? I just wanted to let you guys know we're hosting a webinar in uh, mid-August. There'll be a link in the description below with uh, different times. There's going to be two live webinars. It's going to be on the ways that we find Chinese manufacturers, so the way our company, Source Fine Asia, researches and vets Chinese manufacturers. And then there'll be a little bit of a bonus in terms of how we sort of elevate our relationships with them. Speaking of elevate, the name of the method that we use is called the SAFE method. So if you guys have checked out our ebook, you should be a little bit familiar with this. So S stands for search, A stands for assess, F stands for finalize, and E stands for elevate. So I hope to see you guys on that live webinar. Sign up today. There's only gonna be a limited amount of seats. I believe we're only taking about 50 people on the first webinar. If there's a huge demand, then we might increase that, but sign up today so you don't miss your spot. Register today for this free live webinar at sourcefinasia.com slash webinar. When did you start to make your first inroads into some sort of entrepreneurial well, venture in China? Good question. So basically, um, toward the second year um, in the summer, I, I was uh, working on a, doing a summer camp for, for my company, uh, football coaching and doing English teaching at the, at the same time. Uh, I was talking with a friend of mine, also from the same forum. Uh, he's, a, he's a French guy. But he's been involved in the world of professional football for a long time. He, he lived in Argentina for 10 years, very, very connected in the, in the professional football, especially in Europe and in, in South America. So I'm talking to him and I said, hey, man, I'm doing a summer camp. He said, wow. And at the time, China was starting to invest heavily, billions and billions of dollars into developing football, bringing a lot of professional teams into China to, to develop the game. And uh, while talking with, with him, we had an idea of starting, a, trying to start our own football business. So we started, we planned uh, to, to, to start, uh, to take a groups of Chinese kids to, to do some football summer camps in Europe, especially in Spain and Mallorca. Mallorca is a beautiful island off the coast of Barcelona in Spain. It's probably one of the mm-hmm. most touristy, uh, t- uh, touristic uh, destinations in Europe. Basically, it's like the Cancun of North America. So it's a party place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. But uh, we we wanted to uh, to organize uh, our first group there because my my friend he has uh, he has a property in that area because it's on that island because it's a small island everybody knows everybody, and he personally knows the president of the football. We're talking about the professional football club in Spain, and Spain is the biggest, the best league in the world in, in, in professional football. So uh, the attractiveness of that prospect. I think uh, I think the Premier League fans would uh, would debate you on that. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's you know it's uh, it's a toss. But uh, just, for the past ten years, Spain all, has been at the top. All, all English, uh, all English European Champions League. And, yeah, uh, this year, yes. Yeah. But for the past, uh, if you look at the past 10, 15 years, it's eighty five percent won by the Spanish. So, but we're not going to get into that, you know. No, 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 no. okay. <laughs> but anyways, so the attractiveness was uh, was very high to getting a group of uh, Chinese kids to go uh, spend us, uh, two weeks uh, at a summer camp in an, an absolutely gorgeous setting to learn about the Spanish culture and get trained. Basically, live like how, how you would live if you were a professional football player. Like you wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning, after you breakfast in the morning from 9 to, to 12, you do intensive football trainings. Then you get your lunch. After lunch, you get one hour of nap, half an hour, and then you get an hour of uh, English classes and then a- afternoon again 
because it's too hot in the early afternoon, we take them, for example, to, to the beach or do sightseeing. And then the eve, uh, late afternoon, again, two hours of uh, uh, coaching. And then again, back to dinner and then evening, just some sightseeing, whatever. So that was our plan. We had a beautiful project already. So we started pitching that to, uh, to people I knew. And the first person I started pitching it was obviously the, the owner of the, um, of the training center I was working at that time. So he was very interested in. He appeared to be very open-minded, spoke perfect English. He said, yes, let's do it. So we signed a contract with, a, with, a, with that Spanish club in Mallorca. We sent the deposit, 15% down payment, which was about uh, 5,000 euros between the three of us. And everything was good and dandy. And then it came time to, to actually start promoting the project uh, around the area in Hangzhou. That Chinese guy was always coming up with excuses. All he had to do was just contact, because his training center was the shopping center, all he had to do was just contact the management of the training center to, uh, to book maybe uh, a place inside the shopping center for us to do some demos and then uh, in order to, uh, to basically build, uh, build a group and then organize football classes and eventually upsell them the, uh, the trip to Spain, just like a proper you know, mm-hmm. uh, marketing funnel or whatever. So every time I, I talked to this guy, to uh, all he had to do was just to pick up the phone and make a couple of phone calls. He would always come up with excuses. So long story short, short that project uh, fell, didn't work. And then around the, uh, the spring of 2017, I started uh, pitching the same idea to the owner of another training center that I was working at at that time after leaving the first training center. And this guy appeared to be much more wealthy from what he said. He had uh, schools in Hangzhou, Shanghai, and Ningbo. And he said, yeah, he loved the idea. He said he would pitch it to all his schools and, and all the cities. So, of course, us, me and my, my business partner, we were always seeing was just the start of, 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 of fortunes and our dreams because if it gets into one, one school in one city and then can wildfire to all across the country. So we tried doing that. Uh, and again, same problem. The Chinese would not, uh, oh, this guy didn't even want to pay the, the, the deposit. They said, no, we will not pay the deposit until we get, uh, we get the group ready. But they said, listen, we're trying to get your kids to a profession, top professional uh, club in, in Spain at one of the most in-demand locations in, in, in Europe. And that island, because a small island, it gets booked in the summer pretty fast. And if we wait the last minute, we won't be able to find anything. And if we weren't able to find anything, you would pay like to the nose for it. So long story short, they didn't want to, to pay any of the deposit and didn't want to pay anything in advance. So the project fell through. So after that, I, uh, my contract with my company uh, uh, expired in, uh, in June, of, June of 2017. I decided not to renew with them. And instead, I went uh, the entrepreneurial way. So I, I doubled down on the football project. I didn't give up on that. And this time we tried to do something even bigger. Some, we tried to not just to bring a group of Chinese kids to, to foreign clubs in Europe. We tried to approach foreign clubs, especially in Europe and South America and Argentina, and ask them to basically develop the brand in China and, and open their own football academies in China. So at the time we're talking not only with that professional club in Spain, but also through my, my buddy's uh, connections in, Spain, in, in Argentina, for those of you that are familiar with uh, Argentinian football, to Boca Juniors and River, River Plate, the two biggest clubs in South America. Yep. So, uh, yep. and if you guys know, I'm sure you know, in, in professional sports, 
it's a very small world. So when you start talking to one club, word gets around very fast. So uh, around December of 2017, we were negotiating with the, both Boca and River, the two harsh rivals. They really hate each other, but they, 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 the two most successful teams in South America, not just Argentina. And they were very responsive, very interested in And at the same time, word got out and the actual uh, National Football Federation of Argentina, the AFA, got word of that and they contacted us. We didn't contact them. We, they contacted us, one of the top five most successful, most prestigious football federation in the world, Argentina. Two-time world champions contacted us to basically help them develop their brand in China. So once we, we heard that, obviously we, we dropped like a hot potato, both Boca and River with, uh, with all respect due because the prestige of that was off the chart. Basically, we'll be working directly with Messi and company. They even provided us with, uh, uh, with official documents uh, appointing us to be their official the authorized the representative in China to develop the brand, uh, the, Argent- the football federation, Argentinian Football Federation, not only in China, but throughout all of Asia. So we thought we, we had hit the jackpot. So after that, I started traveling around China uh, and startup, uh, taking part in startup competitions. And that's when around uh, March of 2018, Nick, not, not Nick Rammel, but the other Nick from the EC, uh, what's his name? I forgot. Zebra? Zebra, yeah. Yeah. He posted about... You mean, a, you mean one of the partners? Yes, yes. Uh, very, very kind Nick, and, Nick and helpful guy yes so he posted on the ec uh, in the and the, the private ec uh, wechat group about the about a big uh, high profile startup competition in jongshan and the south of china and guangdong so um, i reached out to him uh, he said on the ad for the for the uh, startup competition i was saying this would be mainly for uh, tech companies and internet companies i told i messaged him i said nick our project is very very uh, high profile very uh, ambitious but it's not in tech nor internet it's, it's in a football project he asked me to send him my pitch deck i did he said i love it i'm gonna submit it to the uh, uh to the organizing committee and uh, let's, let's see what they what they say and uh, about a day later he replied back to me and he said yes they want you to be there so we started the uh, uh basically uh, application process and we get we got invited in they paid for our flights to go from uh, Hangzhou to, uh, to, to, to Guangzhou. And at the same time, my business partner had just arrived from Paris. He was in Beijing. So he also paid for his flight from Beijing to Guangzhou. So we met in Guangzhou. We were there. They picked us up uh, uh, in a nice car. I mean, we were treated like complete royalties, like 24-7 English-speaking uh, driver uh, with, uh, with a translator, five-star hotel, taken to the best restaurant in town. So it was, a, it was a very big competition. There were 72 teams uh, from all across China, and we were the only non-Chinese team. In the first round, we finished second. And there was also another guy from the EC. Uh, what's his name? Adrian? He had a Adrian, pl- yeah. yeah. He was he, actually one of my clients. Yeah. He, he also was at that competition for his uh, surf uh, snowboard uh, product. Right, easy. Yes, exactly. So he finished, uh, in the first round, he finished third uh, I think he finished first. Or, no, yes, he finished first, and we finished second in the first round. And then the big final, which was to be on on the, on the Friday afternoon in front of all the dignitaries from from that city, as well as from uh, the Guangdong province, the Ministry of Sport, all the big guys uh, from the business community. So it was a bit, as well as the 
the local TV. So it was huge. And um, so in, in the big final, we finished fourth. And uh, they were very uh, impressed by our project. They were even uh, offering us uh, to, I believe, if I remember, one year a rent-free in the Zhongshan um, uh, business uh, district. But the, mm-hmm. the amount of money, they were, the seed money they were providing us was nowhere near what we needed. We were trying to raise 5 million RMBs to get the project going, to, to sign a contract exclusivity with the Argentine Football Federation to bring the coaches from Argentina to China. We were, we were basically trying to raise 5 million RMBs, but they were only willing to give us like uh, a fraction of that. So we thanked them. But we had to go, I had to go back to, uh, to Tongzhou. And uh, so how did the how did the competition work exactly? Like you just presented, you did like a five minute pitch or like no, it was it was uh, in the first round we had to do like a twelve we had uh, twelve minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. So we did our presentation. There was a live translator to translate, and then after that we had uh, to answer some questions from the panel, just like any competition. And yeah. at, and, and and they voted right away. We uh, we were the last team to to present on the Sunday morning, the first day. And we knew the result right away. Like uh, within minutes, literally, they, they congratulated us. They say, you guys are in the final. Uh, but we only found out that we would finish second in the, uh, in the evening because there was two sessions, one for Sunday morning, one for Sunday afternoon. So uh, as soon as the Sunday morning session was finished, all the big guys from the panel came and shook our hand and said, well, we love your project. We all love football. We... we you're 99% guaranteed to be in the final. And, and finally, at night, uh, around 6 o'clock, they told us, you guys finished second. Congratulations. So we were, both of us, me and my buddy, were ecstatic. And then we're mm-hmm. taking the, treated like royalties, like uh, uh, big dinner, KTV, you know, the whole shebang that the Chinese like to treat you, you know. So it was, it was an yeah. amazing experience. And then uh, f- for the rest of the week, uh, while waiting for the, uh, for the final on Friday, they were basically just treating us like royalty, like uh, showing us around, visiting the nearby city. We, it took us to uh, Zhuhai, absolutely gorgeous city, right by the beach, by, by Macau. And then just uh, showing us about the... They were basically trying to sell us on the idea to, to settle in, in, in Zhongshan and, uh, and uh, Zhuhai. We love the area, especially yeah. uh, Zhuhai. But again, the, the amount of seed money they were providing us was nowhere near what we needed. Uh, to get the project going, and was this this competition was government funded? It was a government. It was actually yes. It was a gov- It was a project by the, uh, I believe, the uh, Guangdong uh, government uh, province government. So you had, you had all the dignitaries from the ministry of the bureau of uh, of sports and education, and of course because all these guys, none of these guys speak any English, and we don't speak any Chinese. Each time we were with them, we didn't really understand who was who because the translation was really lacking in that case. And it was very mm. difficult to know was who, but there were like, when we went for dinner, I remember there were 20 of us and it was basically among the who's who of, of, uh, of Guangdong government and, and business people. But unfortunately, because we didn't speak any Chinese and, and our translator was get very fast drunk. We didn't know because of the the barrio was free flowing seriously, and and I, both yeah. me. And if you want a funny story, my my business is, partner, the French guy, you know, that is that is such a Chinese situation. My my, my business partner, listen to this. I, I hope it's not too uh, too uh, 
whatever. I'm gonna Listen, try to keep could, it PG. No, no, PG-13, no, no. Okay? You can you can say whatever you want on the podcast. Okay, like okay. So, but anyways, <laughs> uh, uh, basically, he had, it was his first uh, first time in China. He was in China for less than a week, and as soon as uh, we sat around the dinner table and all that. After his first uh, sip of Baijiu, like everybody, you know how it is in China. Everybody wants to to gambe you, to cheer you, and and you have to yeah, especially them. especially as the as the foreigners on the oh, table, yeah. you're like a target. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> it was me, him, and like 20, uh, 20 uh, Chinese guys, and these were like uh, high 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 level government and business people from the Guangdong province. So we had to, and 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 the funny thing is. They were giving me, because uh, maybe a small dose of, of Baijiu, but they were taking almost like small jugs each time. You know, I'm sure mm-hmm. you, you've been in that situation as well, Rico, because you know how those big guys, uh, how, how they drink like fish, basically. How fish they food. party. No, the thing is, the thing is, it's not even just that. Like, for example, I'm a whiskey guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. I can drink, I, I think I can handle my whiskey with the best of them. Yeah. But... I just don't, I don't drink Baijiu. So it's like yeah. a completely different alcohol that your body's not exactly. used to taking. So like, but with these basically people, if I drink the uh-huh. same amount of whiskey, I'd be fine. But if I drink Baijiu, I'm like, I'm going to be fucked up. So, yeah, you know. But in that event, in that evening, there was no whiskey. They had, uh, because my, my business partner was either was beer, French, or beer or Baijiu. Yeah, they had the typical Chinese beer and, and maybe one or two cheap bottles of so-called French wine. My, my French buddy, as soon as he drank a sip of, of the wine, he said, that's the worst wine I ever had in, had in my life. <laughs> and it's not a snob. It's not a snob guy. It's very open-minded, you know? But anyways, yeah. so after, you know, after five, 10 minutes of, uh, after the dinner started, I noticed my friend wasn't sitting beside me. So I, I thought he went to the bathroom. So five, 10, 20, half an hour. I said, what the hell is going on? And even the people around were asking, where is, where is he? Finally, uh, I inquired around and somebody told me he's in the bathroom. So I knocked on the door and said, hey, buddy, are you okay? He said, yes, I'm okay, but I'm not coming back. So why? What's going on? Uh, I, I, feel, I feel much safer staying in the bathroom than being on a, on a dinner table because I can't take this, this crap of by Joe. <laughs> so he spent basically two hours sitting in the bathroom. Because <laughs> you know? he was, he was just, he was just worried about drinking the baijiu. Yeah. Oh yeah, because he said he could, this is the worst it. thing ever. Yeah, and it was absolutely awful. No, no, he couldn't take yeah, it. Yeah, no, baijiu, baijiu, yeah, baijiu tastes like cheap sake. You know, especially it's, yeah, it's really what it especially for a first timer in China, it's the worst thing you can ever imagine. You know, but anyway, so yeah, it was rough. fun time. Uh, after that, and, and so long story short, uh, they treat us like royalty, no, no, no expense spared. They took us to the best restaurant in town all the time, whatever we wanted and all that. And each time for dinner, we had the, the pleasure of having someone high level, either from the government or business, uh, business world in, in Guangdong to be, to be with us and, and try to make our time as enjoyable as possible. So it was an amazing experience. And finally, for the grand final, uh, we finished fourth. And Adrian, I believe he finished third or second, something like that. And yeah, it was an amazing experience. We were on TV and the news everywhere. And that gave us quite a lot of hope that maybe this could be a, a stepping stone towards uh, approaching other people. So I went around basically on, on a tour around China, pitching my, my project to, uh, to people. I even was introduced to a connection of mine to the number two guy and the Shanghai Football Federation, which is the most powerful football federation in China. We went to his posh Shanghai compound, uh, football uh, center. He, treat, he, he received us nicely. He said, yes, that's amazing. Let me take it to my, 
to my partners and, and higher ups and we'll get back to you. And that's when, you know, when the Chinese are going to get back to you, 99% of the chance you're not going to get hear back from them. So um, basically, I spent another year or so just uh, traveling across China, trying to build my, uh, go after my dream of making something happen in the world of football. And nothing was happening to the point that I was almost, you know, uh, running out of money because I couldn't get a job. I had, I had a business fees at the time. And uh, especially in Hangzhou, it, they were cracking down big time. Every time I could get a job, but the first question I was asking was, do you have a work visa? I said, no, I have a business visa. And then they said, sorry, we cannot hire you because the government is very strict. The police are coming to, to everywhere to check. And it's risky for both of us, for us as a company and for you as, as, the, as a person. So I couldn't get a job. I was working odd jobs here and there just to uh, whatever. But it was very depressing because my football project was going nowhere. I was tra- still traveling around China, meeting these people. Uh, you know, entertaining them and, and, and all of that adds up. And, uh, but nothing was, was going up and I couldn't get a job. I was depressed, nothing. I didn't know what to do. So finally, I, I was basically bored, depressed, almost running out of money, not to do what to do, wondering what would be my next move. That uh, my good buddy uh, in Hong Kong, also from Toronto, Lucien, gave me a call around end of December of, of 2018. And that was my next chapter. All right, guys. That is the end of part one of my interview with Lorenzo. If you want to find out what happens in part two, stick around. Uh, come back to us next week and we'll have that out for you. So if you guys want to reach out to me, that's podcast at sourcemanager.com. You're going to check out the show notes at sourcemanager.com slash made in China. We'll have Lorenzo's uh, business information, contact information, uh, up on the website and the show notes. For the best firms in Manhattan where the pressure can crack them because net worth and networks in class get treasured over pleasures that last always measuring stacks a passion for lesser guards grow and see the distraction is clever but trust this wisdom of man is foolishness to God or build on the sand or trust in the odds be shrewd as the snakes and innocent as doves don't succumb to hate overcome hate with love this wisdom of man